Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. This morning I, I want to speak about a message that I've entitled, I Remember. And, and I want to go to the book of Psalms. Now Psalms, uh, for those of you who may be not familiar with, so familiar with the Bible, the Psalms uh, is 150 songs. Um, you could maybe call them poems. They're beautiful um, songs written, mainly written by King David and, and other psalmists who've written these beautiful songs. If you were say call them in Old English, you might call them an ode. And uh, if you were in a Shakespearean, although Shakespeare couldn't write such beautiful songs because the, 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 the Psalms are filled with, with incredible worship and, and real heartfelt declaration of faith. Even in some of them are just agony to read. Um, but even in the agony, this beautiful declaration of faith comes before God. And so we're going to turn to Psalm, uh, Psalm 44. And Psalm 44 is an agonizing psalm. It's not a psalm you really want to read on a Sunday morning. If you read it on a Sunday morning, by the time you get to it, you wish it were nighttime. You were like, God, oh, Jesus, get me out of this day. This is horrible psalm. And, uh, but nevertheless, we're going to go there. Psalm 44, verse 1. And what I'm, what I'm going to do to help ease through the pain of this psalm is we're going to, we're going to miss out the most agonizing bits. And uh, it says in verse 1, Oh God, we have heard with our own ears, our ancestors have told us of all you did in that day, in days long ago. You drove out the pagan nations by your power and you gave all of the land to our ancestors. You crushed their enemies and set our ancestors free. They did not conquer the land with their swords. It was not their own strong arm that gave them victory. It was your right hand and your strong arm and the blinding light from your face that helped them and you love them. Verse 4, you are my king and my God. You command victories for Israel. Only by your power can we push back our enemies. Only in your name can we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. I do not count on my sword to save me. You are the one who gives victory over our enemies. You disgrace those who hate you. O God, we give glory to you all day long and we constantly... Praise your name. Let's miss out verse 9. It's agonizing. It says things like this in verse 19. You have crushed us in the jackal's desert's home. You've covered us with darkness and death. (laughs) All the other verses don't get any better. Verse 23. (laughs) Verse 23. Wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up, do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? We collapse in the dust. This is the good bit. We collapse in the dust, lying face down in the dirt. Rise up, help us, ransom us because of your unfailing love. You know, Matthew Henry, who was a 17th century Bible commentator, said this. As an aggravation of the present distress... The yoke of servitude cannot but lie very heavily on the necks of those that used to wear the crown of victory. 
That's profound, isn't it? Let me read that to you again. As an aggravation of this present distress, the yoke of servitude cannot but lie very heavily on the necks of those that used to wear the crown of victory. You know, I I find that quite profound and I was immediately drawn to last year's football season. I'm not an amazing football fan. In fact, I'm one of the cheap football fans and football supporters. I, I support Liverpool. What I should say is I like Liverpool when they win and when they don't, I don't care. Uh, I couldn't, you couldn't call me a supporter. A supporter would pay money. <laughs> I have a Liverpool app, a free one. And, uh, <laughs> and when they're not winning, I literally, I literally delete it from my phone. <laughs> That's how cheap I am when it comes to football. However, last year's English football season was very interesting because Manchester United, who had been the champions and winners and had 20 years of just dominance on the football scene, they dominated the English Football League, Premier League, they dominated Europe, they were um, champions of the world, they had some of the most powerful and most successful players in the world, they had the most successful um, football manager in history, a man who had once actually managed Aberdeen and led Aberdeen to incredible um, success. Um, he was, uh, um, what was his name? Ferguson, Alex Ferguson. I should know. He was uh, amazing. Uh, and uh, he'd led all this kind of victory. And then he retires. And the team goes down a hill at a rapid rate of knots. And suddenly this, this quote from, um, from Matthew Henry <laughs> rattles with a little bit more. Let me read it to you again. Think about Manchester United. They finished somewhere miserable in the middle of the league. Let me read it to you again. As an aggravation of the present distress, (laughs) the yoke of servitude cannot but lie very heavily on the necks of those that used to wear the crown of victory. Oh, that's so cruel, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> it's so cruel. Do you know what is amazing of, of any people, or team, of any football team that has been a champion? You have these champion teams, teams like Liverpool, teams like Manchester United, teams like Chelsea, teams like Manchester City who are the, the current champions. These are teams like Arsenal. These are teams that have won. And the thing about these teams is that when they're losing, there's something about the players, there's something about the manager, there's something about the supporters that go, whoa, they go, whoa, 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 this is not quite right. (laughs) We're not meant to live in this servitude, we are meant to live in victory. We are champions, not losers. There's something about the DNA that's written within them that go, whoa, we were not born for this, we were born for more. We are champions. And so we have to understand that we must remember who we are if we are going to know where we are going. You can only determine your direction if you know your history. If you can remember the God who created you, you can remember where that creation is taking you. 
And so I want you to understand that to know who we are in Christ, the psalmist starts this psalm. I hear and I remember what our ancestors told us. You are a God of unfailing love. You are a God who does incredible miracles. You're a God who breaks through. You're a God who comes and takes a hold of these terrible situations. You're a God who built us for more. We can't live in this servitude any longer. You know, this is the whole point of our faith and our life in God. We have to remember. You see, when you remember... You restore the truth of your inheritance. When you remember, you re-establish the projection of where you're going. When you remember, you re-establish the true identity of who you are. It says of Nehemiah, let's turn with me, will you, to Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3. This is Nehemiah, he's heard of the, the horror of what has gone on in Jerusalem and it says this it says things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah they are in great trouble and disgrace the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire when I heard this I sat down and I wept in fact for days I mourned fasted and prayed to the God of heaven Verse 8, it says this, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then if you are exiled but to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. You see, Nehemiah lived in servitude, but he didn't carry it well. He lived in a place where he was captive, but within his heart was the, was the very essence of a man who knew he was called to serve the great king above all kings. See, he lived in servitude, but he didn't carry it well. He served the king, but within his serving of the king, he knew he was there to serve the king of kings. He wasn't just a servant. He was a man on a mission to restore the kingdom of Israel because he knew he was here to bring about God's kingdom and not just man's. And so he served faithfully in those faithful things that a man must do, but he finds himself walking within his heart, praying, crying, yearning, desiring for something greater because he knows when he sees the kingdom of God and God's kingdom not fulfilling the things that it's prophesied to fulfill, something rattles on the inside of him because he knows he wasn't born for that kind of servitude. He was born to bring about something that was greater. And you have to remember your king. You have to remember your salvation. You have to remember who you are. And when you remember, it changes the direction of your life. And we have to understand, you see, when Nehemiah came before the king, it changed his position. It changed his projection. Suddenly, Nehemiah is before the king, and when he's before the king, he starts to ask for things that not even his generals would ask for. 
He's just the wine taster. He's just the one who tastes the wine and makes sure that it hasn't been poisoned. He drinks it first. If he doesn't choke, it's okay. Cheryl and I were in a restaurant in uh, Prague and we went to a a la carte. In fact, there's a, there's a style of restaurant above a la carte. And I can't remember what it's called. It's too great a name for such lowly people as us. But we were there. And uh, we were in the restaurant celebrating a 25th last year. And we were in Prague and we were just beautiful restaurant. And all these waiters and they come along and they pull the chair in. I'm looking at Tetchi, don't touch my chair. What are you? And I've got my wallet here. Not used to that kind of, not used to that kind of like service. You know, it's a little bit edgy. We're used to the restaurants in Union Square. Come along, they they put you down, they sit you down, and then they disappear. Where do they? Where do they go? They come back, they slap the menu on the table, and then they disappear. They come, drink order. Uh, yeah. What a, uh, Coke. <laughs> Come back with Coke. Walk away. Come back. Food order. What do you recommend? Chips. <laughs> oh, oh, I have chips and roast chicken, roast chicken. Rose, come back. <laughs> Half an hour later, food comes in, plonks it down, walk away again. And then, come back halfway through, got the food in your mouth. As they got the food in your mouth, they wait their moment. Everything all right with your food? right. <laughs> <laughs> What I really want to say is, go away! (laughs) However, here we are in Prague. And we're receiving this service and we order the meal. And then they want to take the wine order. Here we are celebrating. I want to order a glass. I see the, the wine menu. I see and I'm looking at prices and I think... I'm suffering from some kind of dyslexic kind of problem with figures. I'm not sure what I'm looking at. And so I realize at that moment that that is actually for a glass, not the whole country. It's a glass of wine. I'm not buying the nation. And so I come back and I go, I'll have the cheapest glass that you possibly do on the menu. You can see the waiter's disappointment. As you, oh. Then I see another waiter come in and to a table over there and they have ordered a bottle. They clearly are the mafia. And so they have ordered this bottle. And in they come, not just with a bottle, a whole table, a trolley, and a glass. A glass this large, this large, into which he will come. Pour the wine. Lift up the glass. Bend the knees. Lift. Swirl it around. Sniff. 
swell and drink. The waiter drinks the wine. I want to be that waiter. He drinks the wine. He swells it. He tips it into another guy. He offers it to the man. And as in that classic comedian moment, when you are given the glass of wine, you drink the wine the waiter is giving you. Yes. <laughs> Upon this great charade of games, they have finally delivered the wine to the table and place it on the table. The waiter walks away and then they drink the rest of the wine that they have just paid a vast amount of money for and service. Well, this is the role of Nehemiah. I've just told you all that. (laughs) For you to understand what Nehemiah does for the king. He is there for the servitude of delivering a ridiculously expensive bottle of wine to the king. That's all he does. But on this day, he comes to the table of the king and suddenly... Courage is sitting within his fear because he wasn't born for that kind of servitude. He wasn't born for that kind of ridiculous charades. It wasn't made. He wasn't made for this. Let me go. Go with me, will you? A little bit further on to Nehemiah. And it says here in Nehemiah chapter 2, and it says in verse 2, in fact, let me um, read from verse um, chapter 2, verse 2. The king says, so the king asked me, why do you look so sad? You don't, look so, you don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And he says, then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. It's always a good stance, isn't it? Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. <coughs> by you. Is <laughs> really what he's saying. You know. You're the king, you're responsible for this, I'm your slave. I was taken from the city where I was born and my ancestors lived and where they were buried. That's my city. Your kingdom came, took me captive and all my wonderful people killed a whole pile of others. Ruined the city, brought me here. Here I am serving the king. Now I'm sad. And the king says, what can I do for you. How can I help you? And he says, I'm with a prayer to the God of heaven. This is like, this is his moment. This is Nehemiah's moment. This is the, this is the servant in his servitude with his enormous glass serving the king. And he goes, Jesus, help me right now. <laughs> God, help me. This is my pitch. This is where I'm going to pitch it. And he goes, If it please the king, if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors 
are buried. You know, at that moment in time, he begins to change. And then when the king goes, oh, yeah, I can do that. Oh, by the way, while you're at it, what I need is like timber and I need bricks and I need workers and I need people to send me and I need horses and I need finance. I need, I need everything while you're sending. While you're enjoying this glass of wine, I need you to send me to restore the city of Israel. What was it that motivated? What changed Nehemiah? It was the remembrance of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that shifted the direction and the projection of where he was going. His life was aiming in one direction. He had found favor to serve the king with wine. It is a honored but lowly servitudal position and faith got in the middle when he remembered who his king was and he went, I was not born for this servitude. My king has called me to do something great. My king has called me to do something more magnificent. And he changed the projection and the direction of his life, determining he can do something greater. And he calls on the king to give him his city back. Not even his generals, not even his masters, his, his wise counselors, his ones who determine and advise him on his dreams. No one has ever asked for such a thing before a man brought over to work as a slave before the king says give me my city back give me Jerusalem back give me back what was called to give to the king of kings the lord of lords it's his city now give it back to me you see when you remember who you are you begin to get a courage on the inside. And you're no longer looking at that which is in front of you. You begin to look at that which is ahead of you. Because you're directly in line with that which is behind you. You have to remember the king. If you know where you are going. You see... What happens is you have to change from looking at that which is on the ground. You know, one of the great things that have sports that has arisen more recently is cycling. And cycling is one of those sports that older people have found that they can do. You know, sports is one of those things that you can do from teenage to late 20s, early 30s and, and sort of, you know, football, all those kind of sports, running around and then after that you begin to slow down. But cycling is one of those things that actually you don't really improve until you know, the great cyclists are in the, like their late 30s. And even early 40s. That's cool, isn't it? That's, that's cool for everyone who's in the late 30s. So if you're even in your late 40s, you're thinking, well, I'm still quite close to my late 30s, so, so that's where I can cycle. <laughs> and a lot of people are taking up cycling. It also means you can wear lycra. And uh, suddenly you could put on the lycra. Cheryl and I were, were, were driving into church one morning and we we're following this guy. And this guy, here he is on his bike. He's got the, he's got the racing trim and he's got on white lycra. What I can recommend if you get into cycling, please never consider 
Wearing white lycra is the most vile, disgusting, putrid thing you could ever do because it's see-through. We're following a man in white lycra. He may as well be naked. He's cycling up the hill. We're behind him. It is disgusting. You're driving like this. And not only that, it's a now I can't overtake. I'm, I'm driving like Cheryl sitting next to me. Driving up the hill. I want to get past. And as I get past, as I get past, I realize here is a man, grey. He doesn't even have teeth. Then you're, my, you're just like, oh my word. How does that happen? But you know what? Loads of people are taking up cycling and they're doing all this cycling. And the amazing thing about cycling and road, and I used to do a lot of cycling. And the thing about cycling, to be a good cyclist, is you've got to know where you've come from and where you're going. You've got to know the road. The thing you don't do is look at what's right there. You look at what's right there. Where you're called to go not where you are. If you spend your whole time cycling, looking at what's there, you are a dangerous cyclist awaiting an accident. You're riding on a bicycle, you've got 23 millimeter tires, and you could be going 25 to 30 miles an hour. The most important thing, not the apparently dangerous things like potholes, bits of oil, even paint, on the road which knocks your tires this way or that way the most important thing is the corners that are coming up because those potholes might frighten you but those corners will kill you (laughs) if you are sitting in the wrong place in the road but this is the point when you're cycling and you do this and you break because of what is in front of you you've now misjudged that corner and you're coming off The most important thing about a cycling is that you pitch yourself to where you're going. And you can only know where you're going if you remember where you've come from. You know the direction. And this is what happened to Nehemiah. He remembered where he was coming from. And he knows where he's going. And he says, give me, send me back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So we have to remember when Chaz, that's your name. <laughs> I looked across, I saw a face, couldn't remember a name. It's Colin, I go around Clive. It begins with a C. Oh yeah, Chaz. Chaz, that's it, Chaz. I know. You stayed in my house last night. I know I know you. Chaz. <laughs> so he's going through. Chaz, he spoke this morning about what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. When we come to the communion. Let me tell you something about remembering. When we come and we take the bread and the wine and we remember what Jesus Christ did, when we remember, we take an event that happened 2,000 years ago and we bring it to today. We bring it to the year 2014. We bring it to the month of October and we declare on this day, in this month, 
in the year, this year that is God's year of great blessing for us, we declare Jesus Christ died upon a cross. His body was broken and His blood was shed that I might be a man not born for servitude, but born for His great mighty kingdom. I remember His cross. I remember His Blood, I remember his body which was broken, and it happened that I might be free, not that I might be depressed, not that I might be angry, not that I might live in servitude of the oppression of my circumstances, but that I might remember where I have come from and what he has done for me, that I might see not the plains of desolation, but I might see the forest of fruitfulness that it may come upon my life and I will go in a different direction. That is the kingdom for which we have been born. Let's now stand up, shall we, while I'm still preaching. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com.